Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. In this episode, two recovered alcoholics break down one chapter of the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous line by line. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com. Thank you for listening. All right. So, hi, ladies. My name is Lacey. I'm a very grateful recovered alcoholic. Today, we are going to start... Um, at the title page. So if you have your big book, follow along. Mine's falling apart, but that's okay. Um, I have been sober thanks to God and these 12 steps as outlined in this book since July the 20th of 2014. And that is a real life miracle because I am a chronic alcoholic. Um, I love this book. It's so alive and it's so important. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. So Right here on the title page, it says, Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcohol. And right there, it gives me this promise that I can recover from this thing. And when when I first met my sponsor and she was this like sober, happy chick, which was super confusing to me because when I was sober, I was absolutely miserable and she was sober and happy. And she was like, Hey, okay, let's get into this book. And I was like, Hey, okay, what? Thank you. And she said, read the title page through page 43 and give me a call. But I was desperate enough as I see now in hindsight to actually do that. Um, Years before somebody else had told me to read this and I started to read it and the language felt real antiquated and I just didn't feel really that into it. Um, And so I stopped and I didn't ever call that lady again. And I got drunk again, as the case is. Um, This book was written and published in 1939, um, and it tells us right here that this is the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. Again, y'all, when I, like, read a novel or a cookbook, as there are behind me, um, I don't really read the intro or the Roman numerals at the beginning. I just get going from you know, the beginning of the real numbers of the pages of the book. And my sponsor said, start at the title page and there's important stuff on every page of this book. So I did and came to understand with guidance a little bit more about what it really meant to be alcoholic um, and how to recover from alcoholism as is outlined in this book. So I'm going to flip through the table of contents and I am going to go over to page XI, and I'm just going to read from the preface now. So, y'all, again, so this is actually the preface to the fourth edition of this book. Um, I'm just going to start reading. So this, on XI, it's the preface. It says, this is the fourth edition of the book Alcoholics Anonymous. The first edition appeared in April 1939, and in the following 16 years, more than 300,000 copies went into circulation. The second edition, published in 1955, reached a total of more than 1,150,500 copies. The third edition, which came off the press in 1976, achieved a circulation of approximately 19,550,000 in all formats. It says, because this book has become the basic text for our society and has helped large numbers of alcoholic men and women to recovery, there exists a strong sentiment against any radical changes being made in it. Therefore, the first portion of this volume describing the AA recovery program has been left largely untouched in the course of revisions made for the second, third, and fourth editions. The section called, quote, the doctor's opinion, end quote, has been kept intact just as it was originally written in 1939 by the late Dr. William D. Silkworth, our society's great medical benefactor. The second printing of the first edition added the appendix, quote, spiritual experience, end quote. In the second edition, the appendices on AA tradition, the, quote, medical view and, quote, religious view of AA, the Lasker Award and information on how to contact AA were added. And the appendix on the Alcoholic Foundation was discontinued. But the chief change was in the section of personal stories, which was expanded to reflect the fellowship's growth. Bill's story, Dr. Bob's nightmare, and one other personal history from the first edition were retained intact. Three were edited, and one of these was retitled. New versions of two stories were written with new titles. 30 completely new stories were added, and the story section was divided into three parts under the same headings that are used now. In the third edition, part one, Pioneers of AA, 
was left unchanged. Nine of the stories in part two, They Stopped in Time, were carried over from the second edition. Eight new stories were added. In part three, they lost nearly all. Eight stories were retained. Five new ones were added. This fourth edition includes the 12 concepts for world service and revises the three sections of personal stories as follows. One new story has been added to part one and two that originally appeared in part three have been repositioned there. Six stories have been deleted. Six of the stories in part two have been carried over. 11 new ones have been added and 11 taken out. Part three now includes 12 new stories. Eight were removed in addition to the two that were transferred to part one. All changes made over the years in the big book, AA's member, AA members' fond nickname for this volume, have had the same purpose, to represent the current membership of Alcoholics Anonymous more accurately and thereby to reach more alcoholics. If you have a drinking problem, we hope that you may pause in reading one of the 42 personal stories and think, yes, that happened to me. Or more important, yes, I felt like that. Or most important, yes, I believe this program can work for me too. So I want to break that down a little bit because if you haven't read that or if you haven't read the first, second, and third edition of this book, which to be honest with you, I have not, um, you're like, why does any of this matter? I want to pull out just a couple of things that are really, really important here. So first of all, back in the day in 1939, we may recall that there was no internet. Um, there, I don't know like what even phone lines, to be honest with you, looked like at that point in time. I wasn't here yet. Um, my parents weren't here yet. So when we were sick and dying of this thing, this office up in New York um, that was becoming this fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous would send me this book in the mail with a little post-it note that was like, good luck. And I would just try to find myself in this book. I love right here, it was pointed out to me in that second full paragraph on page XI, it says, because this book has become the basic text for our society and has helped large numbers of alcoholic men and women to recovery, there exists a strong sentiment against any radical changes being made in it. Um, as we read into the four to the first edition and the four to the second edition today, we're going to start to understand how this fellowship changed, how the program got a little bit diluted and away from the book. But right here, it tells me that this book is the basic text. That means that this is a textbook. It's a book that I study. My book... Um, for those of you listening, you can't see, but for those of you watching, it's falling apart. This is actually the second book that I've worked out of since 2014. But early, early on, at the very beginning of my sobriety, my sponsor said, I want you to carry this with you all of the time because I'm going to continue to point you back to the book. And I said, uh, okay. And this is a book that we study. We, in my home group, we study this text and we don't talk about all of the other things, we just talk about the solution that is outlined in this text right here that has been unchanged since 1939, which outlines a suggested program of action, a solution to my alcoholism. So this is a textbook. So I study it. I don't read it once and put it on my bookshelf behind me so that you can come over to my house and be like, wow, she's such a reader. I'm so impressed. Um, I study this thing and I practice this program every day like my life depends on it because it does, which is what the book goes on to tell me. Um, I, so I study this. That's the point here. And that it hasn't changed since 1939. It goes on to say in that next sentence, it says, therefore, the first portion of this volume describing the AA recovery program has been left largely untouched in the course of revisions made for the second, third, and fourth edition. So what they're talking about, the first portion of this volume, that's this title page that we started on through page 164. That right there outlines my problem, my alcoholic problem, and the solution to my alcoholic problem, the spiritual solution that I'm going to come to find by working these steps. So that right there is the recovery program. You've got all these stories in the back that, you know, like it said at the end of this preface, if we read through those stories we may think, yeah, that happened to me, or more importantly, yes, I felt like that, or even most importantly, yes, I believe that this program can work for me too. It tells me that right here in the preface, y'all. Also, this stuff hasn't been changed because just to provide a little bit of history, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob 
were kind of the first two AAs, not kind of, they were. And there was a lot of other stuff out there at the time. There was, if you look into the history, the the Washingtonians and some other groups and y'all Alcoholics Anonymous is not here to have a monopoly on getting people sober. I'm just here to tell you that I tried a lot of different things. And this is the only thing that has worked for me consistently for the past over five years. Um, and it's just working the steps as outlined in this book. And, you know, we, we get to those steps exactly. Um, when we get over to page 59 and 60, they're outlined right there. And we're not going to get there today, but that's the program. Um, but it tells me that this has been left effectively untouched because these guys, when you read into Bill's story and you start to see like, oh gosh, that was me, um, right? There's Bill's buddy who was his hard drinking buddy that Bill was like, shoot, if I'm ever as bad as him, then I got to quit. And he sat in front of him having had this spiritual awakening and, you know, was recovered and sober and happy. And Bill was like, huh? Kind of like I was like, huh? When my sponsor stood in front of me and was sober and happy, it was very perplexing to me. Um, the doctor's opinion goes on to describe that feeling of having alcohol taken away from me, but no solution as feeling restless, irritable, and discontented. And I lived that way for a long time and it was pretty miserable. Um, that's just my experience. But all to say, these guys wrote down what worked. Remember, if we flip back over to the title page, it says the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. So a lot of it worked. And a lot of people died before they wrote down what really worked. So we, we alcoholics, we, the first 100 who wrote this book, feel really strongly about not changing this literature. So that's basically what this preface is talking about. It tells me that this is a textbook, that the program of recovery is outlined in the first 164 pages things like Bill's story, which is, you know, one of the first chapters, and Dr. Bob's Nightmare, which is one of the last chapters in that first 164. Um, and I start to see myself and understand what it truly means to be alcoholic as I go through this book. And a little bit, um, my step one experience, oh, um, my step one experience is a little bit uh, I didn't think that I even could quit drinking because I was so miserable without alcohol. Um, I didn't think that this program would work for me. I didn't think I was worth it. I had so much shame. I had all of this, but I also didn't know what it truly meant to be alcoholic. Um, and when my sponsor looked at me and said, baby, you've got the allergy. I was like, what? I, I don't know what you're talking about. And when she said, you've got this mental obsession, I said, what? And I want to point out that I had been in and out of the rooms of AA for about two and a half years at the time. And I had never heard of this allergy or this mental obsession. So with that said, I want to go ahead and move into reading the forward to the first edition, because it's going to start to tell me, give me a little hint about what I'm talking about with this allergy and this obsession. So on page XIII, we go into the forward to the first edition. This is the foreword as it appeared in the first printing of the first edition in 1939. And you guys, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through these next two pages and then I'm going to break it down a little bit. So it says, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics, now this next part's in italics, precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. For them, we hope these pages will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary. We think this account of our experiences will help everyone to better understand the alcoholic. Many do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. And besides, we are sure that our way of living has its advantages for all. Man, that's an awesome paragraph. Okay, I'm going to keep going and come back to it. It is important that we remain anonymous because we are too few at present to handle the overwhelming number of personal appeals which may result from this publication in 1939. Keep that in mind. Being mostly business or professional folk, we could not well carry on our occupations in such an event. We would like it understood that our alcoholic work is an avocation. When writing or speaking publicly about alcoholism, we urge each of our fellowship to omit his personal name 
designating himself instead as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Honestly, mm-hmm. we ask the press also to observe this request, for otherwise we shall be greatly handicapped. We are not an organization in the conventional sense of the word. There are no fees or dues whatsoever. The only requirement for membership is an honest desire to stop drinking. We are not allied with any particular faith, sect, or denomination, nor do we oppose anyone. We simply wish to be helpful to those who are afflicted. We shall be interested to hear from those who are getting results from this book, particularly from those who have commenced work with other alcoholics. We should like to be helpful in such cases. Inquiry by scientific, medical, and religious societies will be welcomed. Signed, Alcoholics Anonymous. All right. So, again, this is the forward as it appeared in the first print of this book in 1939. Again, my sponsor said, Lacey, go read the title page to page 43. I start reading this and I'm like, what are we even talking about here, right? There's like all kinds of stuff that I don't understand. Um, I thought alcoholism meant that I had gotten DUIs and that my family was begging me to quit drinking and that I had to have a drink every morning when I woke up. And none of those things actually happened to me. And I heard a lot of people in some rooms of these 12-step fellowships saying, talking about their jail time and all this. And I thought, well, you're way worse off than me. I'm, I'm not an alcoholic because I don't have those. It's beginning to outline for me in actually this very first sentence what it really means to be alcoholic. We have Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. This is the why. I have to understand why I am powerless. If I don't understand what my problem is, then I cannot find out what my solution is. I have a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And it sure seemed hopeless because every time I drank, I got drunk because I have this alcoholic allergy where every time I put alcohol in my body, a phenomenon of craving develops and I lose absolute control over the amount that I drink. I drink more than I want to every time I start drinking, except for the one time when I only had the one margarita. And I was like, y'all, see, 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 this happened the one time and I'm not really an alcoholic. And I actually like called my friends. And as it was later pointed out to me, the normal drinker doesn't have to call their friends and brag about how they only had one drink last night. Um, But that's just my experience. So I have this seemingly hopeless, that's the body, right? This allergy that Dr. Silkworth is going to go on to describe to us on page XXVIII, which we're not going to get into today. But it's my duty to explain what this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body means. So I also have this mind that is obsessed with alcohol, that no matter if I'm If I'm not drinking, it's when can I drink? If I'm not drinking and I'm like trying to be sober, it's like, you're an alcoholic, you're an alcoholic. I mean, you guys are, but like everybody else in my life, right? It's like, well, you're, you, you, it's you, it's your problem. It's your problem. Um, I have this mind that is obsessed that somehow someday I'm going to beat the game. I'm going to drink normally. I'm going to drink like the hard drinking or even moderate drinking friends that I see. It's not that bad. It wasn't really that bad. It's going to be different this time. I'm going to write the word stop on my wrist and then I'm going to stop drinking once I start, right? But I can't because I have this allergy. Y'all, that's, I did that, like in permanent marker right here on my wrist, stop. And then I looked down and I was like, meh, three drinks. And then it was eight. And then it was more than I intended to, right? So I have a seemingly hopeless side of mind and body. And it's only seemingly hopeless. That's the thing. There is hope. I can get recovered. It promises me that in the beginning of the sentence. And I want to point out, too, that the we of Alcoholics Anonymous that are talking right here are these first 100 men and women. It's not everybody out there in AA land who has their own ideas. It is the first 100 men and women who sat down and wrote this book together. And let me just frame this for you. I have a hard time deciding what I want to eat for dinner with my fiance. That is two people. If you think about 100 of us recovered alcoholics sitting down and pouring over every single word, think about how important and, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? How intentional the words that they use are, right? Like 100 people poured over all of these words and wrote down what worked for them a program of action that led them to a spiritual awakening. It tells us in the doctor's opinion, we have to have an entire psychic change that if I am a chronic alcoholic like this, if I have this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, I'm never going to recover from this body part. It goes on to tell me later on in this book, but I can recover from this seemingly hopeless state of mind. It tells me that this allergy later on in the book is progressive, that it's not going to get better. Okay. 
harping on that, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered. It has been pointed out to me that in 1939, we were in like the printing press and it wasn't computers and you couldn't highlight the language and just make it all squiggly. They had to like pay more to put things in italics. So it is super, super important um, when they're talking about these italics things. Precisely how we have recovered means that this is a recipe. These 12 steps, I'm going to follow them in order. I'm not going to use baking powder instead of baking soda because that's going to make my brownies turn out different. I'm not going to add nuts. This isn't a buffet. This isn't like take what you want and leave the rest. This is like work the program. 12 steps. My sponsor pointed out to me, I got like a day sober and I was like, I'm going to go start apologizing to people. She was like, hold on. There are ways to do this ninth step where we make amends, right? I have to start to see what my part was. And that's in the step work later on. But I got to follow this thing precisely. That's the main purpose of this book. It goes on to talk. So so I want to reverse. This is a two-pronged problem, a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, right? Um, it goes on to tell me that this is the experience of these other alcoholics and that this will help everyone to better understand the alcoholic. This, if my family reads this, if another if somebody who's not an alcoholic reads this, they're not going to fully understand, but they may better understand. And then there's this really key part. Many don't comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. I am not a bad person. I am a sick person with a sick body and a sick mind. And then there's this really cool thing. Besides, we are sure that our way of living has its advantages for all. Our way of living. This program, these 164 pages are going to teach me how to live. They're not just going to teach me how to stay sober or not drink today. God, how miserable is that? They're going to teach me how to live this full, amazing, beautiful life. And it's so, 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 so cool. Um, A couple of other things I want to point out. It talks about that this is their experiences, not their opinions. They're not just like thinking, oh, this is cool. Um, This is what these first 100 actually experienced. And it also says at the bottom of that um, second paragraph, we would like it understood that our alcoholic work is an avocation. That's alluding to this 12th step in our 12 steps, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. We tried to carry this message to alcoholics and practice these principles in all of our affairs. I don't sit on my hind legs and just be like, cool, I'm sober now. It's done. Uh Uh-uh. I go out and I find other alcoholics to work with. That's what it tells me right here. It says when writing or speaking publicly about alcoholism, we, you know, encourage people to be anonymous. It talks more about this in the 12 traditions, y'all. Um, But I tell you right here, right now, my name is Lacey Montgomery and I'm an alcoholic because if you need help and want to find me, there's probably more than one Lacey Montgomery on Facebook or in the phone book or wherever, right? You're not ever going to see me say I'm an AA because if I'm out there talking about how I'm an AA and then I relapse and you all have seen that on my Facebook or the phone book or the news or whatever, and you're like, well, AA doesn't work because that girl relapsed and she said she worked AA. I'll talk about a 12-step program, but my recovery is up to me. I have to invest in my recovery every single day and my conscious contact with God and my working with others and my continuing in this 10th step to watch for these character defects that crop up. But I don't at this point have any idea what any of that means. I'm just reading the forward to the first edition. Um, one last thing before I pass it over on XIV, we shall be interested to hear from those who are getting results from this book particularly those who have commenced to work with other alcoholics. This book, that's it. My sponsor has said to me time and again, like a trained monkey could do this thing. It tells me in this book that it's a simple but not easy program. It is a simple program of action. That's it. I have to take some action. And, you know, it says in here, faith without works is dead. And it tells the only thing... I have to be absolutely certain of is my truth in step one, that I am powerless over alcohol, that my life had become unmanageable, that I have a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And I have to understand that truth about my alcoholism. I've got an allergy, abnormal reaction to alcohol once I put it in my body. It doesn't matter if I'm happy or sad, if I've you know, had a terrible past or a great past. If I got promoted or fired, I start drinking and I can't stop this phenomenon of craving develops. I lose control over the amount that I take and I end up drunk. If that's my only problem, Lacey, just don't drink. Page 23 tells me that the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. I am obsessed. I have a mental obsession. It's going to be different. It's going to be something else. 
Um, and then I lose, I lose choice. I can't choose to stay away from the drink. My brain tells me it's going to be different. My brain is obsessed with alcohol. My brain GPS reroutes me constantly back to alcohol. So I've got to get God in the middle of this thing. And I get that by working these steps, the steps that are outlined in this book, which there are so many promises all throughout this book. And one of the most beautiful ones, I already said it is in step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, not as some random byproduct, but as the result of these steps. If I do the work, I'll have that spiritual awakening. And it's not, it's not diluted. It's not like jump up and down on one leg and tap your head. Like all, literally all I have to do is follow the 12 steps as outlined on page 59 and 60 in this book. Get hooked up with a sponsor who has had a spiritual awakening, who can walk me through it, who can point me back to this book, which I study, right? It told us in the preface. And I do this thing for a lifetime. Tells me that on page 84. I'm not here like spouting off page numbers thinking that I'm a know-it-all. I just feel so strongly about what is written in this book. And I don't have all day to read the whole thing to us, or I would, because it's just so rad. But um, that 10th step on page 84 continues to keep me connected to God and helpful to others. But I've got to get through the rest of the steps first. And I've got to understand what it fully means to be alcoholic, which is that I have a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So I think Lisa is going to take us into the four to the second edition. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, Lacey. That was so good. That was so good. You, I just, anyway, I learned so much. Um, okay, so four to the second edition. It, there's lots of pages in here, so I'm going to go pretty quickly because there's a lot of material to cover. But as we landed in 1955, Bill Wilson was still alive and Dr. Bob had passed away. So there's a couple of different um, very specific things that this board meant to address. Um, and one of them was a little bit more about the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. The second was the purpose or the reason why that Bill felt we needed the traditions because he'd gone across the nation talking to several AA groups and at the convention, try to ratify the 12 traditions because he saw some of these groups falling apart. And then the last thing that I wanted to point out before we get into the text is there's a couple of different things between the first and the second forwards and the third and the fourth forwards. In the third and fourth forwards, after Bill passed away, they started moving from recovered alcoholics to members, So, which is a very, very specific and distinctive um, word because member of Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't mean that you have to do the work. It just means that you are a member. A recovered alcoholic means that you've done the action. You've taken the action. You've had to recover. You've had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. And it is a different um, tone. So this board to the second edition, Bill wrote it. And it's really, uh, there's a lot of great stuff in here, but I'll go quickly. And then we'll talk a little bit about the history. Board to the second edition, it's on page XD, so 15 in Roman numerals. Since the original forward to this book was written in 1939, a wholesale miracle has taken place. Our earliest printing voiced the hope that every alcoholic who journeys to find will find the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous at his destination. Already, um, already continues to be, already continues to be the early text twos and threes, fives of us have sprung up in other, communi other communities. 16 years have elapsed since our first printing of this book and the presentation in 1955 of our second edition. In that brief space, Alcoholics Anonymous has mushroomed into 6,000 groups whose membership is far above 150,000 recovered alcoholics. Groups are to be found in each of the United States and all of the provinces of Canada. AA has flourished into the communities of the British Isles, the Scandinavian countries, South Africa, South America, Mexico, Alaska, Australia, and uh, Hawaii. All toad promising beginnings have been made in some 50 foreign countries and U.S. possessions. Some are now taking shape in Asia, and many of our friends encourage us by saying that this is but a beginning. Only the augury of much larger future ahead. The spark that was to flare into the first AA group was struck in, uh, in Akron, Ohio in June of 1935. 
during a talk between a New York stockbroker and an Akron physician. Six months earlier, the broker had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience, followed a second meeting with an alcoholic friend who had been in contact with the Oxford groups of the day. He had been greatly helped by the late Dr. William D. Silkworth, a New York specialist in alcoholism who is now counted no less than a medical saint by AA members and whose story of the early days of our society appears in the next pages. From this doctor, the broker had learned the grave nature of alcoholism. Though he could not accept all the tenets of the Oxford group, he was convinced of the need for a moral inventory, confession of personality defects, restitution of those harms, uh, helpfulness to others, and the necessity and belief in a dependence upon God. Um, I want to stop right there for just a second because that's really, 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 really important, that paragraph. Um, when it talks about the Oxford group, so this is, he's in this last sentence, he's going over the tenets of the Oxford group. There are six of them. And it talks about um, the uh, moral inventory, confession of personal defects, restitution, helpfulness to others, and necessity of belief and dependence upon God. One of the things that I was pointed out to me very early on in this program was the necessity for a belief in, which is a feeling, right? It's, it's a feeling and the dependence upon God. So dependence upon God is the action that I take to become more dependent upon God. So belief and dependence are very different um, words and they mean something very different. And we get a lot more into that until we agnostics, but I just wanted to point that out, but that's a really important um, principle and thought there. Prior to his journey in Akron, the, the broker had worked, um, had worked hard with many alcoholics on the theory that only an alcoholic could help an alcoholic, but he had succeeded in only keeping himself sober or sober himself. The broker had gone to Akron on a business venture, which had collapsed, leaving him greatly in fear that he might start drinking again. He suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. The alcoholic turned out to be the Akron physician. Um, all right. I want to go back real quick. So in the Oxford group in those days, there were hundreds, if not thousands of meetings across the United States. It was a very big movement. It wasn't a silent, small movement. It wasn't denominational. It wasn't like Methodist or Presbyterian. It was a non-denominational movement that was Christian that had this really run across the United States. So there were thousands uh, of meetings in most cities across the United States. Bill had a sponsor. He had Ebby as a sponsor um, by the time that he was uh, in Akron. And so the interesting thing about this is when he, this business uh, meeting collapsed and thank God that it did, um, he could have gone to a meeting that day that he was feeling uh, shaky. He could have called a sponsor that day that he was feeling shaky. But what it says right here is that he suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. That was the only thing that was going to save him. And so we've become really dependent upon the meetings and um, we've become really dependent upon our sponsors, which really this needs to go back to God helping another alcoholic, bearing witness. And that's exactly what Bill has laid the foundation for that. And thank God, especially in this day and time when we can't touch each other and we can't go to meetings, that we can still grow our personal relationship with the God of our understanding um, by helping other alcoholics. The physician had repeatedly tried spiritual means to resolve his alcoholic dilemma, but had failed. When the broker gave him Dr. Silver's description of alcoholism and its hopelessness, the physician began to pursue the spiritual remedy for his malady with a willingness he had never been able to, to muster. He sobered never to drink again up to the moment of his death in 1950. This seemed to prove that one alcoholic could affect another as no one could. He also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic to another, was vital to permanent recovery. Oh my God, that's a huge, underline that, highlight it. It also indicated that strenuous, not just a little, I drank strenuously. One alcoholic with another was vital to permanent recovery, not permanent sobriety, permanent recovery, very big difference. Hence the two men set to work almost frantically upon alcoholics arriving in the ward of Akron City Hospital. 
So cool. Wish I could have been there. Oh, their very case, a desperate one, recovered immediately and became AA number three. He had never, he never had another dream. This work at Akron continued through the summer of 1935, and there were many failures, and there were occasional heartbreaking success, heartening success. When the broker returned to New York in the fall of 1935, the first AA group had actually formed, though no one realized it at the time. Okay, I got to stop right there again. Newly sober alcoholics are the most effective. That right there, they had four months of sobriety, and they are out there in the front lines trying to find alcoholics to work with. I tell you what, someone with 13 years is not as effective as someone with four months. You look at me, and you're like, oh, my God, how the hell? That's like an anomaly. You had to cheat it. I don't believe you. Whatever. Someone with three months, you're like, you know what? I can relate to you. Tell me what you did the first week because that's why I can't get through one day. So this right here lays another foundation work for the, we need to get out there and start sponsoring immediately because we are the most effective to the newcomers when we have that experience of our step one right here on our shoulder. A second group promptly took shape at New York and followed in 1937 with the start of the third at Cleveland. Besides these, there were scattered alcoholics who picked up the basic steps in Akron or New York and who tried to form groups in other cities. In late 1937, the number of members having substantial sobriety time behind them was sufficient to convince the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholics. Substantial sobriety was two years. (laughs) I mean, substantial sobriety was two years. That's how desperate these guys these men, it was one woman actually, Marty Mann, but they were so desperate because nothing worked. They were doomed to die. That's what we did. We were doomed to die or get locked up. So two years was a very big deal. Uh, And sometimes, you know, I take that for granted. I do (laughs) for sure. It was now time the struggling groups thought to place their message and unique experience before the world. This determination bore fruit in the spring of 1939 by the publication of this volume. The membership had then reached out. Okay, so one other thing that the the book, right, became before the meetings. It still wasn't even Alcoholics Anonymous yet. The book came before the meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. They were still the Oxford Squadron, the Alcoholic Squadron of the Oxford Groups, which is so cool. The Fledging Society, which now had a nameless, now began to be called Alcoholics Anonymous from the title of its own book. The flying blind period ended and AA entered a new phase of its pioneering time. With the appearance of the new book, a great deal began to happen. Dr. Harry Emerson Fosdick, the noted clergyman, reviewed it with approval. In the fall of 1939, Fulton Osler, our editor of Liberty, printed a piece in the magazine Alcoholics Anonymous and God. This brought a rush of 800 frantic inquiries into the little New York offices, which meanwhile had been established. Each inquiry was painstakingly answered. Pamphlets and books were sent out. Businessmen traveling out to existing groups were referred to these prospective newcomers. New groups started up, and it was found to the astonishment of everyone that AA's message could be transmitted in the mail as well as word of mouth or by virtual meetings. (laughs) By the end of 1939, it was estimated that 800 alcoholics were on their way to recovery. In the spring of 1940, John D. Rockefeller Jr. gave a dinner and many of his friends to which he invited AA members to tell their stories. News of this got out on the world wires and inquiries poured in again and many people went to the bookstores to get Alcoholics Anonymous. By 1941, March, the membership had shot up to 2,000. Then, it's a huge thing that happened, Jack Alexander wrote a feature article in the Saturday Evening Post and placed such a compelling picture of AA before the general public, that alcoholics in need of help really deluged us. You need to read that article if you haven't. It's kind of, it's really cool. It's kind of outdated a little bit, but it's really kind of cool. Anyway, by the close of 1941, AA numbered 8,000 members. The mushrooming process was in full swing, and AA had become a national institution. Our society then entered a fearsome and exciting adolescent period. The test that it faced was this, and this is where the traditions start to come, and he starts to introduce us to the purpose and the reason why we have the need, the traditions. Could these large numbers of erstwhile erratic alcoholics successfully meet and work together? Would there be quarrels over membership, leadership, and money? 
Would there be strivings for power and prestige? Would there be schisms in which would split AA apart? Soon AA was beset by these very problems on every side and in every group. But out of the frightening and at first disrupting experience, the, the conviction grew that AAs had to hang together or we die separately. We had to unify our fellowship or pass off the scene. And there is the first tradition. In the forward to the first edition that what Lacey wrote, uh, Lacey read earlier, there are seven traditions on that second page of the forward to the first edition. So he pulled some of those thoughts and concepts from the first edition, and then they materialized here in the second edition. As we discovered the principles by which the individual alcoholic could live, so we had to evolve principles by which the AA groups and AA as a whole could survive and function, function effectively. It was thought that no alcoholic man or woman could be excluded from our society, that our leaders might serve, but never govern. Still leaders, but servant leadership is extremely different than the kind of leadership um, that we look at today as a capitalistic society. Um, I think that I read the military does it best, that leaders eat last. Leaders eat last, and that's servant leadership, and that's what AA has been founded on. It's like an upside-down triangle. Each group ought to be autonomous, and there will be no professional class of therapy. No professional class of therapy. We don't get paid to do 12-step work. All right. There are no dues or fees. Our expenses were to be met by our own voluntary contributions. There was to be the least possible organization, even our own service centers. Our public relations were to be based on attraction rather than promotion. And it was decided that all members ought to be anonymous at the level of press, radio, TV, and films. That, you guys, was born from Marty Mann. If you have any, if you have any time at all, go back and read about the first woman in AA. Her name was Marty Mann, and she was a badass. She was a pistol. She got in front of the Congress and started talking about Alcoholics Anonymous and how the the government is not helping. And it was, I mean, literally, they tried to to quell her down to get her to stop talking about it so much um, because she was such a loudmouth. And I love her, but the national. Um, uh, society, the national alcoholism um, that that uh, society that helps the government for lobbying and for all of their policy changes was started because of Marty Mann. She's read it; it's really cool. Anyway, this was the substance of AA's twelve traditions, which are stated in full on page five sixty one of this book. Though none of the principles had the force of rules or laws, they had become so widely accepted by 1950 that they were confirmed by our first international conference held in Cleveland. Today, the remarkable unity of AA is one of the greatest assets that our society has. While the internal difficulties of our adolescent period were being ironed out, public acceptance of AA grew by leaps and bounds. For there were two principal, re there were two principal reasons for this the large numbers of recoveries, and reunited homes. Mm. I think that we become the rock of our families. I've said that so many times. Um, it's based on my experience. It's not my opinion. And people who, women who are newly sober, like there's, there's no way, there's no way that I can become the rock of my family. Um, and it has nothing to do with us personally. It has everything to do with God because we're walking spiritual, this spiritual path and starting to bear witness. And it becomes um, obvious, at least it became obvious to my family. It was like, you're different. You're different. And they started asking questions. And that's exactly, we just want to plant the seed. So the rock doesn't mean you're like the the go-to, the mentor, but it literally means that you make mistakes, you clean them up. And it's inspiring. It's inspiring not to be perfect. It's inspiring to make mistakes and have a toolkit that we go out and we make restitution. I didn't do that before. I made a mistake and I pretended like I did it on purpose or I ignored it and I didn't want you to know. And so that's what I mean by the rock of our families because we make mistakes and, and we're not ashamed. The shame is gone. It's so cool. Anyway. All right. This next uh, couple of sentences is really, really important, and it really kind of relates to step three, but I'll go over it. Um, 
These made their impressions everywhere. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once. Remain that way. 25 sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, among those who stayed in AA showed improvement. So here we're talking about straight up 75% after relapses, a couple of relapses, 50%, 75%. The word in there, two words that are really important, and I talk about this in step three when I'm going over with the women I sponsor, is really tried. What does that really mean? Really tried. So really tried, when I think about really tried, I think about me really tried. Me, I'm really talking really is going through making a decision to go through with the rest of the work and literally taking the action no matter what. Um, This is about how this works, not why it works, how this works. And really trying is really important because it goes directly to this textbook. If I'm going to really try, I don't have anything to do with it. All I can control is 10, 11, and 12. And everything else that happens as a result of that is up to God. And so really trying is really simple, but it's really hard. All right. Other thousands came but a few to a few AA meetings and at first decided they didn't want the program. But great numbers of these, about two out of three, began to return as time passed. Oh my God, how many times, like especially at Maggie's, do we see that? Our only goal at Maggie's is to plant the seed. That's it, period. We just hope that one day when it sticks that you remember and that you call us because we want to be friendly. We want to be kind and compassionate. Um, We want to be loving, and sometimes that's tough love, but we've got to never make sure that we um, will always extend our hand out every time. Another reason for the wide acceptance of AA was the administration of friends, friends in medicine, religion, the press, together with innumerable others, have become our able and persistent advocates. Without such support, AA could have made only the slowest progress. Some of the recommendations of AA's early medical and religious friends will be found further on in this book. This gave us street cred. Dr. Silkworth was an alcoholic, and he gave us a lot in the doctor's opinion, especially around the physical allergy, but you know what he gave us most? More than anything else in the world, because any doctor could have figured out the physical allergy, he gave us credibility. He gave us credibility so that people would pay attention to the book that was written. He didn't sign his name in the first edition, but he signed his name in the second edition in this forward. So, Alcoholics Anonymous is not a religion or religious organization, nor does AA take any particular medical point of view. Though we cooperate widely with the men of medicine as well as the men of religion. Alcohol being no respecter of persons, good God, no respecter of persons. Um, it is actually um, 8% or 8%, I'm sorry, 10% of the population, 8% are men and 11% are women. We are an accurate cross-section of America at distant lands by the same demographic evening up process is now going on. By personal religious affiliation, we include Catholics, Protestants, Jews, Hindus, and a sprinkling of Muslims and Buddhists. More than 15% of us are women. Well, that's more like 45 now. But At present, our membership is pyramiding at the rate of about 20% a year. So far, among the total problem of several million actual and potential alcoholics in the world, we have made only a scratch. In all probability, we shall never be able to touch more than a fair fraction of the alcohol problem in all its ramifications. So true. Upon therapy for the alcoholic himself, we surely have no monopoly. Yet it is our great hope that for all of, uh, for all of those who have found, yet found no answer, may begin to find one in the pages of this book, and will presently join us on the high road to a new freedom. How cool is that? Uh, the second and the third uh, forwards, they're not that cool. <laughs> they, 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 don't, they don't make that kind of an impact, which is fine. But the forward to the second edition, there's so much beautiful information in there. So I really appreciate Kat and this group paying specific attention and being able to let us talk about it and study it 
because one of the things it says here that's really important is that upon therapy for the alcoholic himself, we surely have no monopoly. We have no monopoly. What we really should be very hopeful for is that the woman that we're trying to help finds a relationship with the God of her understanding. Isn't that the purpose? We find a relationship with the God of our understanding and we grow that relationship through 10, 11, and really a lot of it through 12 by bearing witness to the light coming on in someone else's eyeballs. But we have no monopoly for a spiritual awakening. We have no monopoly for a spiritual experience. Um, But I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I tried a bunch of other methods um, from pharmaceutical to religious to uh, working out. I mean, I tried everything. Um, And I even went to AA for four and a half years before I got sober. But what happened was I just wasn't hearing this and I wasn't desperate enough. And vodka got me into a place where I um, was open-minded and was teachable. So while we have no monopoly on this, um, what I hope is that we will get back to the book as a collective that we all teach from the same material. We're not, no opinions that literally what page is that on when you're talking about this material? Because if we're all collectively talking from the same um, solution, then we should have the same numbers that they had here. Because they don't, there's nothing that's changed between then and now. Alcohol is still the same. People are still the same. We have just as many problems or probably more today than we did back then. But what has changed? Alcoholics Anonymous. We've gotten away from the book. And if we can do that, we can all speak from the same language and get back to um, what was so beautifully written out here. I believe personally um, that we will start to grow again. Our numbers will start to grow again instead of decreasing every year. So that's all I've got. Thank you guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. This recording is not associated with any AA group or AA world services. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com.